Inner chaos is part of so many lives. When we go through it, we often try to hide it on the outside. Now I'm okay. I'm all good. But inside, there's a struggle. Why do I feel this way? Am I broken? Am I the only one feeling like this? When people connected with Jesus, they would grow to trust Him, pull down the mask they wore. Good morning, church. How y'all doing? Good to see you. Yay, second service. Always feel like, you know, I'm with the people now. Yeah. So, and, and nerves have been just blown out in the first service. So the second service, I'm like, yes, yes. It's good to see you. Can I just say, wasn't that a tremendous communion item? That was powerful. And I'm glad I didn't have to get up straight after that message because that was really a moving. Um, who has enjoyed this series, It's Okay Not To Be Okay? It's been tremendous, and I have to say um, that I've had so many people come up to me and tell me how this series has really resonated with them, um, that they have enjoyed and appreciated the subject matter. Um, and also, someone told me um, in the other place that I work at school, and they said to me, I don't go to your church, but I want you to know, and I want you to tell your church that even the title is freeing for me. And thank you for doing it and your message. And I'm like, well, you just got to come. You just got to come. So we've been doing this series on Sunday nights as well. And we have been tackling topical subjects like doubt, sickness, grief, anxiety. And tonight, um, like Caleb said, Craig is coming to speak tonight on depression. It's going to be amazing. So come bring a friend. Sunday nights rock. So you got to come out and experience that. In the morning services, we have been looking at how Jesus encountered and hung out with people who were not okay, like the marginalized, the outcast, fringe dwellers, liminals, sinners, and the broken. And if I had to give this sermon a title, I guess it would be, look who's coming to dinner, because this morning we are headed to a dinner party. And I'll cue this, make sure I do this right. A dinner party. A dinner party in the gospel of Luke. And at this dinner party, we are going to see two types of broken people. One who is broken and transformed by the forgiveness and the grace of God. And the other who doesn't get just how broken they really are. Now, Luke, the gospel writer, was a literary artist. And he paints a stunning picture as he tells us a story about Jesus and what he's like. And my prayer is this morning is that we would see and be moved by the beauties of it because it is truly breathtaking. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, as we peer into your text, this text could actually stand on its own and it, it, it preaches itself. And so, God, I pray that um, you would be glorified in it, that you would open up the ears and eyes of our hearts to see you and be awestruck by your amazing grace. Let it fall afresh on us this morning. And so, God, have your way, have your way, have your way in this place and in, in us. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So let's get after it. Now, Luke sets the stage in chapter 7, and instead of reading these passages as a whole, 
I will let them unfold before you a bit at a time. So starting at verse 36, it says this. Am I there? There we go. Now, one of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. I'm just going to stop there. Now, the Pharisees were a powerful force in that community. They were basically um, the preservers of religious and moral purity. But it was a moral purity externally, not internally. The name Pharisee means separated one. And they separated themselves from everyone they deemed a sinner and unclean. You know, it's interesting when you look up the word Pharisee in the dictionary, you know what the definition is? A self-righteous hypocrite. Yeah, look it up. It's amazing. We are not told why this Pharisee, whose name is Simon, invited Jesus over. But I have to wonder if he drew the short end of the stick. Like the Pharisees had a meeting and they said to one another, hey, we need to check out this Jesus. Someone's got to invite him over to dinner. Simon, you're it. I say that because as we look at his treatment of Jesus, it becomes obvious that he did not invite Jesus over because he felt this great need for a savior. Jesus comes and this Pharisee's treatment of Jesus at this dinner is rude and discourteous by the standards of the day. You see, it was customary in those days to pour a small amount of oil on someone's head if they were an honored guest at your house as a sign of respect for them. But Simon, this Pharisee, brings no oil to Jesus. It was customary for a man to kiss another man upon their entry as a sign of friendship. It is still customary today in many cultures, especially the one that I grew up in, the Latino culture. When you came to our house, we would greet you and hug on you and kiss you a lot. And then we would eat for like hours. But as Jesus enters this house, Simon brings no kiss of peace to Jesus. Now, Jews in those days wore sandals and they walked on dirt roads. And as you walked, your feet would get dirty and dusty. And it was customary that when you arrived at a home, you would remove your sandals as a sign of respect and you would be provided with a basin of water so that you could wash your feet. But Simon, the Pharisee brings no basin of water to Jesus. And by doing that, Simon is making a statement. What he is saying to Jesus is that I find it worthy of my time to invite you over to my house, to evaluate you, to interview you. But I want to make it clear that you are no authority in my life. So Simon the Pharisee denies Jesus the respect, love, and even the common courtesies of his home. But then, in the next verse, a woman comes in who is in every way Simon's opposite. And it says in verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment. Now Luke describes her arrival by saying, behold, a woman of the city, a sinner. He throws in that behold to let you know that there's something different, different happening here. Something out of the ordinary is about to go down. Now the out of the ordinary is not that she showed up as an uninvited guest. It's not like she broke into the house and crushed the dinner. Twice in the text, it tells us that they were reclining at table And that tips us off to something, that this was not a normal family meal. It was a special meal. 
Now, special banquets weren't like the Da Vinci's, weren't like Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, where everybody is sitting behind a table looking like they're getting ready to take a picture. No, it wasn't like that. At special banquets, you would lay out tables at coffee table height, and you would lean in on one arm and eat with the other, and you would lay down or recline on pillows, and your feet would extend out behind you, and you would circle together. And banquets or symposiums, as they were sometimes called, were common to do when you had a guest speaker in town. It had some excitement to it. Like our rabbi is going to sit with the visiting rabbi and they're going to discuss and dialogue in an unscripted way. Back in those days, it was like must-see TV happening live. So what would happen is, is that you would leave your windows and doors open, open to a courtyard, so that as you're having dinner, people could come into your house, sit on your window ledges, or they would sit on the floor around the edges of the room, and they would watch you eat and talk. It was kind of like being at a roundtable discussion or a breakout session at a conference where you get to see some of your favorite speakers speak to each other in an unscripted way. So that's what's happening here. It's a banquet, and the locals get to watch this whole thing happen. So the drama is, when Luke says, behold, it's not that this woman came into the house. The drama is that this kind of woman came into that house. And have you ever felt that? What is a person like you doing in a place like this? You feel like, behold, a sinner has arrived to Bethlehem Baptist Church. And let's be honest, we've all felt that way one time or another. Like if we knew what you got up to last night. Or if you could hear the way I talked to my spouse or my kids on the way to church, you would lock the doors. Or if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't want me in this place. But keep listening, because this message is for you. This message is for me. So this woman comes in, a woman of the city who's a sinner. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what it is that exactly that she did. But the idea is that she has a bad reputation. Now, a sinner back then had the reputation of breaking the laws of God, but it also had a sexual connotation to it as it related to women. So most commentaries that I read, and I read a heap of them, believe that she was a prostitute, or it could have been that she was promiscuous. The point is, whatever it was, she has a past and it's no secret. Everybody knows about it. And they judge her for it. And every time she would walk into the marketplace or the town square, a constant reminder of her shame was to see in their eyes looks of condemnation. But at some point, and we don't know when, she heard about Jesus. You know, if you were to do a harmony of the Gospels, you know, put them side by side, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you looked at them chronologically, you will see that what happens before the events here is Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Now imagine being this woman in the crowd and hearing this out of the mouth of Jesus for the very first time. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and the burden I give you is light. 
Or maybe she heard Jesus speak about the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God that was available to all, even someone like her. And when she heard those words, she didn't need to be convinced because she knew how she was living was not okay, that she was not okay. That in the cold light of morning, when she looked at herself in the mirror, she didn't like what she saw. And at some point, this woman believes in faith, the words of Jesus. And here's something that we don't find out until the end of this passage um, in Luke 7, is that she has met Jesus before this dinner. In verse 47, Jesus says that her sins are forgiven. It's past tense. It's done. And look at how this woman responds to that. She summons up her courage and walks through the town in front of all those people and steps into the house of the Pharisee, the separated one, clutching a little bottle of perfume. And when she gets there, Luke slows it right down. He uses seven verbs and one sentence describing all stuff she does. She actually never says a word, but her actions speak louder than words. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, I don't know if she had something planned that she wanted to say to Jesus, but as she gets close enough to him to see maybe his hair, to see his robe, she gets close enough to him to see him. Words fail her, and she just starts to cry. Has that ever happened to you? You get filled up with emotion when you get an opportunity to talk to someone who has meant the world to you. I know this happens to me every time I say something to Jim Hearn, because he has meant the world to me. Now, this woman comes up behind Jesus and begins to weep, and Luke uses the word for rain. She doesn't get just a little teared up. It starts to rain down. She casts her head down and she sees his dusty feet and she leans over and lets those tears just rain down on those feet. And one commentary put it this way. He said, eyes that were once painted up to attract men now are used to wash the feet of Jesus. And then she does something that in that public domain would have been viewed as immodest and scandalous. She unbinds her hair, Paul, hair that Paul calls in 1 Corinthians, the crown and glory of a woman. You see, a woman wouldn't unbind her hair except for her husband on her wedding day. It was one of the things that they look forward to seeing the most, your hair flowing down. And it was also something that this woman never did for free. She unbinds her glory, the most beautiful thing for a Jewish woman, and she uses it as a rag on Jesus' feet. And lips that had once kissed men now kiss those precious feet. Now, the word kiss here is the Greek word kata phileo. Kata means with and phileo means love. It's the same word used in the father's kiss when the prodigal son came home. She is kissing his feet in love. And she used perfume, perfume that was once used as a trick of her trade. It was part of her allure to attract men. She now breaks and pours out at the feet of Jesus. She's a picture of Romans 6.13. 
that says this. If I can get it there. Guys, if you could put it on the next slide. Anybody there? No. Well, I'll read it to you anyway. It's from, she's a picture of Romans 6.13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That is what this woman does. She takes her body that has been given away so many times in so many fruitless places. And she takes all that she has and lays it at his feet in humble, self-forgetful worship. And the room is filled with the fragrance. But then a stench arose and it's the attitude of the Pharisee. And in verse 39, if you could cue the next slide. It'd be great. Verse 39 says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. Now Simon reaches a verdict on Jesus. He says, if this guy were really a prophet, which he clearly is not, he would have been able to figure out what sort of woman this is, which is dirty. He, would have, he wouldn't have let her do what she is doing. That is, touch him. And he puts that in the present tense. She continued to touch him. Now, Simon is not only offended by the woman, he's offended by Jesus and this whole scene. Now, picture, you are at this dinner party. How are you feeling right now in this moment? How are you feeling? And what does that reveal about your heart? What does that reveal about my heart? Because let's be honest, it's awkward, isn't it? Part of me is, mo is moved by her worship, the freedom and the abandonment of it. But the other part of me is like, hey, sweetie, you need to take that down a notch. Everybody's watching you. Everybody's looking at you. You need to settle down. But notice that Jesus doesn't try to temper her passion or her worship. He knows that she knows that this is not about her. It's all about her love and gratitude towards him. And then irony steps in. And in the text, Luke says, and Jesus answered him. So Simon's complaining to himself. He's just thinking these things. And Jesus answers him, displaying the very prophetic ability that the Pharisee said he lacked. Jesus answers the silent questions of this man's heart. And in verse 40 says this. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Or in other words, say what you're going to say or say on, teacher. And then Jesus tells him a simple story. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Another translation says that when they did not have anything with which to repay, he freely forgave the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love, them, will love him more? It's a simple story. Two debtors. One owes 10 times more than the other one but they are both unable to pay. 
both helpless, both in need of grace, both graciously forgiven. An act that would be totally out of character for a money lender. The reason why a money lender lends money is to get interest in return. It would be like the bank who owns your house mortgage or your student loan say, hey, your debt's been canceled. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not a normal occurrence. Jesus tells the story of radical, gracious forgiveness of debt. And then he asks this simple question, who do you think will love him more? The person who owes two months wages or the person who owes two years wages? Which one? And Simon answered, the one, yep, there we go. The one, I suppose, he can't even bring himself to agree with Jesus, I guess, the one whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then Jesus points his attention to this woman and he starts to go down the list of courtesies that Simon neglected that were met and surpassed by this woman. And then turning to the woman, but still talking to Simon, he says this, do you see this woman, Simon? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus says, yeah, I know exactly who, what kind of woman this is who is touching me. And the fact is you could learn a thing or two from her, Simon. You, the Pharisee, could learn from the sinful woman. And the message is, Simon, your heart is cold to me because you don't think you're that bad. What Simon doesn't get is that he is not someone who has sinned less than the woman. What Simon doesn't get is that his judgmental heart of other people and her is as dirty and offensive to God as what she probably did last weekend. But this woman who felt the weight of her sin now knows and understands the value of a savior. And Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, I just want to clarify something in case you're confused at what Jesus is not saying. And I said this in the first service. Craig could get up here and do a way better job of explaining this than I could. So just bear with me for a minute. He is not saying she's forgiven because she loved much. We could read it that way, but we would be wrong. We would miss the parable and we'd miss the whole of New, Te New Testament theology. If you remember the parable, he told Simon, someone has a debt, graciously forgiven. Now what, as a result of that forgiveness, who would love more? You see, love is a response to the forgiveness, not the prompt of it. Jesus doesn't say, man, this woman is working hard back here. Therefore, she is forgiven. no. He says she understands that she has been forgiven. Therefore, she has responded with much love. Her devotion is not the prompt of Jesus' forgiveness. And this is important. It's proof that forgiveness has been received. And so she worships. 
You see, this passage is inviting us, church, to enlarge the capacity of our hearts to feel deeply once again or the first time about the reality of sin and then to rejoice passionately over the reality of God's amazing grace. You see, my fear is, and my fear for myself is that over time, we can become over-familiar and cavalier with grace. And if we aren't careful, if I'm not careful, our hearts can shrink like the Grinch over time. You know that Dr. Seuss story, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas? In the story, his heart has shrunk so small that you need a magnifying glass to see it. In the song, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Well, that can happen to us. When our hearts shrink, we can have a tendency to get judgmental, legalistic, and cold-hearted. And it can shrink as we forget the crushing despair of guilt and the breathless wonder of forgiveness. It's a scandalous grace. And when we truly embrace it, we worship differently. We just do church. We worship differently because love isn't stagnant. It moves. It shows up. It's not like she was in the crowd and she heard these words of Jesus and said, oh man, that was a good sermon. Or that was great. And then walked away unchanged. No, she moves towards it and believes it and embraces it. And there were other women. Um, if you turn over the page on Luke chapter eight, is this whole passage of how Jesus is preaching the gospel to everyone and healing many. And there is these women, there's women who follow him like Mary Magdalene, who's been delivered of many demons. And it says that this band of women um, all give give to the, um, the disciples and Jesus out of their means. Giving out of your means, that's worship too. Selfless, self-forgetful worship. Amen? Now I've got a fun clip to watch here, and it is from um, Michael Jr., the comedian. Now he's great. And he is doing a stand-up um, comedy routine, and he finds somebody in the audience, which I think kind of captures the spirit of really good worship, um, on the video, so let me just play that for you. For those that don't know, Michael Jr.'s break time is exactly that. In the middle of my stand-up comedy, I stop doing it, sit down, and just kick it with the people. Check it out. Just some random dude. I don't even know who he is. We just start kicking it, and look what happens. Let me talk to the brother right there. Yeah, yeah. What's your name, bro? Daryl. I'm gonna need you to slow down with all that, bro. <laughs> For real, you're scaring the white people. You can't do that, Daryl. I'm sorry, bro. You're scaring me too, though. <laughs> wow. Well, what do you do for a living, Daryl? I work at Oak Ridge Military Academy. I'm the music director there. Musical director, Oak Ridge Musical Crime. Okay. Yeah. But you got a deep voice, man. I would not want to get you mad. Jonathan, come here. You're like, oh, snap. Nine Jonathans show up. <laughs> amazing, dude. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me hear. We didn't plan this. Just so y'all know, we didn't, we didn't plan this at all. I'm just randomly talking. To, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. 
like me. Wow. That bro could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you, you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The first time he sang, he knew what to do. He just sang in a controlled and a precise and unemotional way. But the second time he sang it, he sang. He sang because he knew why he was singing it. He was connecting with the lyric that I was lost, but now and found. I was blind, but now I see. Grace has saved a wretch like me. When you understand your desperation and you receive his redemption, it produces affection and awe of the one who came to set us free. And verse 48, he says, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then the, those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, those at the table were outraged and thinking, who does this guy think he is? You can't say that. You are taking God's prerogative. Who are you to pronounce over this woman that all the things that she has done in the dark have been forgiven? Who are you to say that? Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus doesn't listen to them. He says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How is Jesus so sure that she is forgiven? How can he be so sure that her debt has been paid? How can we be sure that our debt of sin is paid? It's because church and the whole point of the parable is, is that Jesus is the payment. He is the payment. You see, whenever a sin is committed, a debt incurs and that debt has to be paid by somebody. Jesus came to be the payment. And when we receive that forgiveness, shame and guilt is lifted because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to live the perfect life we could not, to die the death that we deserved, to take upon himself our sin and our shame. And the repercussions of that go on forever, forever. We get to rise clean, pure, and new because he and he draws all those to himself who will admit their need. 
And here's the kicker, church. You don't have to get cleaned up to receive this forgiveness. You come to Jesus as you are, because it's okay not to be okay. And as you trust him, and as your sin bearer, you will experience new life. Church, we need hearts that have been set free by grace. Hearts that have experienced change like we see in this woman. Hearts that are free to love Jesus. And doesn't stop there. And to love people. Because we are all broken. You know, last weekend I was at um, a 21 Pilots concert. And it was absolutely tremendous. I've never seen a show like it. It was really amazing, these two guys putting on the show. And I've heard that they're Christians, and you can kind of tell by their lyrics, but that Victor Arena um, was packed. It had 12,000 people, young people, and they're singing this song. And I get the lyric, but I'm looking at all these young people. I would have been the oldest one there. There's all these young people. I'm with my daughter and 12,000 people. And there's this lyric, the song's called Screen, and it says, I'm standing in front of you, trying to be so cool. We are, we're broken. And the whole stadium's singing this chorus. We're broken, we're broken, we're broken people. 12,000 people lifting up their arms. And I couldn't help but think, we are. Do you get it? So I'm going to ask that you ask the Lord now, church, to blow the dust off grace for us and our over-familiarity with it, that we would see afresh the friend of sinners that is in Jesus, and that our hearts would be moved and changed. And that in the days leading up to Easter, that you would take the time, know that you would make the time to sit long at the feet of Jesus in humble, self-forgetful worship and consider deeply once again, or maybe for the first time, who he is and what he has done for debtors like you and I. And as the song leads us in this last song, would you, metaphorically speaking, unbind your hair and sing like you from the hood? You could try, get that little sway on, but engage in the lyric as you come to the altar of Jesus. Amen? Amen.